You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, it's, it's these interruptions that are there to teach you the lessons we need to live. Your guide on the side. What creates higher trust for you and the people around you? This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. When you talk about morality, the reason we do what we do and why we do it, it's and we don't consciously sit there and say, I will now go try to look better by being morally superior to everybody. But we all know somebody that has to tell us when we're doing something wrong. Or I had friends growing up in high school that if I, I would make a joke that they would laugh at, but then they'd be like, oh, Matt, shouldn't say that. And it it was hilarious. That's why they were laughing. And they're like, man, what's wrong with me? Why, why do I say that? Because I must be such a misfit. Anyway, morality. And one of the things I talk a lot about when I work with my clients is we, we, there's a thing called logical force. Okay, so logical force is when we make a decision based on logic, not morality. For example, um, if you have a friend that called you a name or embarrassed you at, a, at an event, it would be logical that you don't talk to her, I guess, for a week. Ignore her. Ben does this all the time with the producers around him. It's very effective. Well, okay. And um, we're talking against it now, so you wouldn't want to probably argue that it's effective. I just need to put that in. Okay. Sorry. So, so you're justified, right? Because you're doing something that is right. If you went and interviewed your friends, nine out of your ten friends, if you had ten friends, Ben, nine out of ten of them would say, yeah, I'd be mad too, and I would ignore Stacy. I'd ignore her. Because that was totally rude. The problem is, even if it's even if it's logical for you to be mad, even if it's uh, and you can see this in our political world, even if it makes good political sense for you to put someone down, for you to destroy someone's career or you know credibility, it, just because it is logical and it it logically can be justified, it doesn't make it moral, right? Your morals, your moral value system and your logic system don't always they don't go together because many times the most moral thing you can do when you see something that's been done wrong, like let's go to the story of the guy that killed the lion. Um, I guess you could gang up and jump in and send it to everyone, you know, and show how moral you are. Or you could just shut your flapper and. Go make a donation to preserving animals, right? But no one would know about that. So what's the point? What's the point? Why would I do something that nobody knows about? I guess because it's moral. So when I think of a moral person, I think of a Gandhi, uh, a Buddha, Mother Teresa. These people didn't promote their actions. They just acted. I think you're being naive, Matt. (laughs) Is that – are you trying to show – are you trying to get me mad so I would – No, I'm trying to be logical. Your larynx. Um, Got to look after yourself in this world. See, again, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Um, that's a perfect example. That's a perfect example. All of a sudden, it's logical to defend yourself. You feel like you have to defend yourself. Even the guy that was going to rush the stage, he was making a good point. Donald Trump's a bully, so all I wanted to do was just take the – I just wanted to take his – his speaker away, his pulpit away. I wanted to get rid of his 
stand. I didn't want to let him have his voice anymore. Logical. Logical. Not so logical when you think of the fact that there was tens of thousands of people there that would have stopped him. Uh, Twelve or so, he said, you know, Secret Service people that could have killed him or killed someone else trying to stop him. Not super logical. But he feels like he has moral authority to do that. I guess one of the problems we run into in our society is we think we have a right, and that right means we have no responsibility. We have a right to say what we need to say, to use our voice, to be mad and to take a stand and even charge the stage. We have a right to do this. But there's also a responsibility. Do you know how bad that could have gone? Secret Service that have weapons— this guy could have either been killed or other people harmed or injured or Donald could have had a heart attack. Things could have happened. There's a responsibility that comes along with all of this. So just because you have a moral right or a right, logical right, it doesn't mean it's going to be moral and healthy for you. And remember, check your own gut. If Why do you need to post certain things? Look at what you're posting. If you're somebody that is constantly posting political things or constantly having to beat up the latest issue morally, um, why are we doing that? Ask yourself, what what do I gain by being this type of person? In the end, you're probably not actually improving your moral system. In the end, your moral system is more between you, your God, you and your people around you. You and the followers that respect you and trust you. That's where your moral system creates strength, not in the masses necessarily. Unless you're somebody that is always in the masses uh, with people following you, I'd keep your moral compass fine-tuned to the people around you. Anyway, uh, closest to you, by the way. We'll take a break. Stick with us. We can't do the show without you. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. Matt, if you could just go to a therapist, or if you didn't need to go to the therapist, and you could just do it yourself, we're going to put a lot of therapists out of business. <laughs> Ben's like, yes. I mean, therapists do great work, but many times they're just, they're, they're really just reflective listeners, right? They're listening well. And what would happen if you had a friend that was a, just a really good listener. Are you that kind of friend that you can perform that listening function, um, you know, for your partner to, to help get their emotions out? Oh, it's, it's not easy. I get it. I know. I know. It's not easy. And so um, when you think about it, and I, I see this a lot in my practice, there's, there's these signs, okay? I call them... You don't need to just always be, I don't know, totally ready and engaged to just listen to your partner. But there are times you have to be ready to be engaged and listen to your partner. There's three signs I look for, and I learned about them. Um, I learned about this concept as an emergency medical technician. So right after uh, uh, when I was about 21, I guess, I was an EMT on an ambulance and I was certified in, you know, life support or basic life support and uh, learned all the tools and the rules and, and how, to, how to basically take care of somebody in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. And one of the first things they taught us is you got to check vital signs, right? Vital signs. 
because you need to know where your patient is. There's a very basic baseline for where your patient is, and you need to check, you know, pulse, uh, respirations. If you could, oxygenation, see how well they're oxygenating. You could take a, a blood pressure, just basic signs. And the neat thing about humans is we pretty much have these very basic vital signs. And then what happens is there's a very powerful um, pattern that doctors and, and hospitals use where when you come in and see them, you can say whatever you want to say about why, what you're feeling, and they'll be listening to you. But while they're listening to you, they're going to check your vital signs, right? They're going to check your temperature. They're going to check a bunch of different things. All of those are signs of something going on deeper down. And what I have found is just like we have it physiologically, we have vital signs. Emotionally, we have vital signs as well. So there's three signs I'm constantly looking for in the people that are around me. Negative emotion is a sign. There's a sign of something deeper going on. And if you see negative emotion in somebody, instead of yapping, instead of arguing and telling them your point of view, I wouldn't tell them. I would just try to understand where their emotion is coming from. So I look for negative emotion. I look for misunderstanding. And I look for mistrust. When I see those signs, I know I need to kind of get out of my agenda and get into the agenda of the other person, right? So if, if my if my spouse comes home and they're slamming doors, that's negative emotion. I should see that, pay attention to that. I should try to understand what's going on. Hey, babe, I can see you're frustrated. Tell me what's going on. I'm just mad because the kids took my whatever and I can't find it and I've got to go use it right now. There's frustration. Behind every negative emotion, you're going to hear a story. People want to tell their story because they would love the emotion to go away. So what if as humans, we could just start paying attention to the negative emotion, the misunderstandings. Misunderstanding simply means when something's going on and you don't know why it's going on and there's a misunderstanding. If, I'm, if, if I have a, a person that's, that's quiet and, and shuts down, I'm going to know they have negative emotion and I don't understand exactly why. I shouldn't just guess. Is this because of what happened last year? <laughs> I mean, last year's example of, of this same you know, behavior may not be very accurate. So I, what I'd love to do is recognize the emotion. You seem really upset. What's going on? Share with me why you're upset. Because if I could get the story, that would increase my understanding, right? And then if I could understand the person and not you know, make them worse, then they could trust me. So that's what we're looking for in our relationships, emotional management, understanding, and trust. That's the best thing I've ever learned to know when I need to be listening to somebody. When I see that they're negative emotionally, when I don't understand why and I don't understand their reasoning, try to understand it, and do they trust me to share it? Anyway, that's where I'd start working with the people I love, the people I care about, a little coach's corner for you right there. Emotional management, it's hard stuff, let alone doing it with each other. We're going to take a break. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. And uh, we're, boy, we're going to talk about, I think, I think a really important subject. And it's something I deal with a lot in my own practice, coaching uh, couples in their communication and their conflict resolution, 
many, many, many times I will have. In fact, the majority of the time when I have one person come to my office to talk about their marriage, it's the woman. It's the female saying, oh, he doesn't care. He doesn't get it. And so I've been dealing with this issue a lot. And then um, I found a book years ago that um, it, it you know seemed like it was touching the third rail of marriage issues. It's called Good Husband, Great Marriage, Finding the Good Husband in the Man You Married. And um, I, I think in the end, it's it's a good lesson for all of us um, because I'm, I'm wondering if, if we don't want to necessarily just blame the man for being the problem in a, a lot of the marriage issues, but we can definitely step up a whole lot more. I think that could never be more true than the mere fact that, that about, I think, 70% of divorces are filed by women. And guys, we're not that bad. We just got to get in and get real and, and, and get into it. And to talk to us about their book, Robert and Jane Alter are on the phone with us. Um, their name of the book again, Good Husband, Great Marriage, Finding the Good Husband in the Man You Married. And we appreciate Robert and Jane being with us. Thank you so much for your, your time. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you, Matt. And what I think is wonderful, as a couple, you, you uh, Robert, are a practicing psychotherapist, um, and uh, Jane, a couples therapist. You, you, you've been at this a long time, and yet you come out, and I love, very directly tackle the idea that, guys, you got to get your head in the game. Yeah, it, came, it took me a number of years as a therapist um, and, and as a husband to realize that I'm sitting down in my office um, with these couples, and I'm looking at the woman, and what I'm seeing is just this person who is reaching out and just trying to have this decent relationship with this guy who's sitting in, in the other chair, and in some ways he just doesn't know how to do it. Yeah. He just doesn't know how to really connect with that particular person or connect with a woman who is his wife. So. Um, I, the book is really a, a teaching, uh, kind of an instruction man, manual, uh, how to connect with your wife in a marriage. And I mean, is it we don't know how to do it? Is what do you think, Jane? Is it is it men don't know how to do it? Is it just that it's foreign to us? Is it we've never been taught this? What do you think it is that has debilitated so many of us? Well, I do actually think that part of it is. Uh, just a lack of knowledge. Um, it's, it hasn't been taught, and in particular, men haven't had the responsibility for taking care of the healthy relationships. Hmm. That's not one of their, you know, job descriptions in life. So they, I think, even have less sense of how to do it. And also, I think there's a bit of sort of male entitlement, you know, um, yeah. to feeling like they're the boss. So maybe they don't think that, uh, you know, they need to know more than uh, what it is that they, they want. And there, yeah, go ahead. Here's the, here's the joke in a way. We men actually do know how to relate to a woman in the courting period. Right. When we want them. All, what we know is I, I should be basically being in good energy and being just a good guy and connected with her and talking with her and interested in her and holding her hand, all these great ways of connection. We know that in the courting period. The problem is that once we've courted them and won them and we've got them, we tend to forget all hmm. that. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. We're the life of the party, right? We've got all the funny jokes. We're, we have all the energy in the world. And then that's just, I guess, to woo her, to win her. And then when we've won her, I guess we get fat and happy. Right. What I, my understanding of my marriage now is that I'm, I'm still courting her and I'll mm. be courting her every day of my life. And, that's, and that feels good to both of us. Yeah. I think that's a very good understanding. And you need to keep that up because part of that, it seems like I always use the metaphor or the analogy of like a lion, a lion with his pride might be, you know, flexing and puffing up, looking big when he has to win a battle or, you know, maintain his position. But once everything's safe, he just might roll over on his back and roll around in the dust and he's not as attractive. But uh, you're saying we need to keep. We need to keep on our game and we don't have to – it's not like we can't relax, but it, it is that we need to keep making it a priority. Yeah, and I love that phrase, on our game, because when you talk to men, it really does help to speak their language, yeah. like the sports language. And what I tell men is that marriage, especially if there's children who are always watching, that marriage is a big league game you got into. You're playing a particular position and here's how to play that position. Hmm. I love it. And it's fun to me that you guys uh, have been able to do this together because you're, a lot of times you have the the kind of the dichotomy, the he said, she said, he's kind of less attentive, so she wants to bring it up and talk about it. He calls her a nag. Oh, you sound like my mother. And then, and then it just turns into that typical battle. Do, do, right. do you guys talk this through and you have a pretty good insight as counselors together? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things uh, that Robert often says, which I like, is that not only was I uh, the major editor of his book, but I have been the major editor of him as a man and as a person. And, uh, yeah, we think we base our a lot of our couples therapy on things that we've learned to do together, to talk things through and to let each person be heard and also the idea of the man needing to make some changes that he might not be comfortable with. That's... I'm, a typical, I'm a typical man, too. I would much rather be shooting baskets out in the driveway or cleaning up the garage than talking about the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I've learned is if I behave in certain ways to her, that, that in ways that she's not going to come to me and say, Robert, we have to talk about this, that's my best shot at not having to talk about it. Yeah. Just behave well. Yeah, yeah, and, and improve. And a lot of it seems like a lot of people think you just have to accept me as I am. I shouldn't have to change. What do you, yeah. What's your take to that in um, a long-term I heard, relationship? I heard a, a spiritual teacher say once that um, if you're waiting for unconditional love, many galaxies will have uh, changed by then. <laughs> um, it really, it's really not... Uh, one of the deals in marriage. There's a, uh, some, somebody once said, after marriage, all things change, and one of them better be you. Mm. So what we're talking about is two people who are facing each other every day and seeing things about the other, and some things I love and some, some things I want you just never to get rid of, and there are some things I'd like you to change. And that's one of the great uses of marriage, too. It's like you have somebody who, kind of a mirror, that is looking back at you and saying, these are some of the things that you you probably want to be working on. Yeah. I think that's important because 
in the end, um, we, we want to become we have to become something together that's healthy and productive. And I may bring in certain traits and problems. My spouse may bring in traits and issues. But we really want to be able to conquer and, and become something new together. And that won't happen unless we're both willing to change. Right. And plus, I think what happens is that we, um, in that transformation that each person is going through because of the kind of the crucible of the relationship, which is, you know, really making you change if you want it to be a good relationship, you then bring that new you, um, that better, improved version of you. I mean, you're still you, as you say. Right. But you bring that out into, yes, a better you out into the world. So everything and everyone you meet, meets somebody who just has a lot more to offer. Is where does the ego come into this? Um, one of the things I find a, a little harder. I mean, I, everyone has ego, but I found that um, the male ego, this need to kind of uh, save face and kind of maintain my machismo or whatever. It, I need to protect my myself, and I found that many times that ends up becoming a burden where we're not able to apologize. Sometimes we're not able to admit mistake. Right, absolutely. I think that's tr- I think that's true. What I what I say to men about their ego is, um, men. Uh, one way of thinking about the ego is it's just you just want to be proud of yourself. You just want to think well of yourself, and that's that's ego. And you want others to think well of you. Well, if you want to think well of yourself, I have a way. Become a great husband and a great father. Hmm. And so then your then your ego is fine. You can, you can stand with your puffed up chest yeah. and feel wonderful about yourself and. And everybody who knows you will, will will see it. And and you've earned it, right? And it's yours. It's not yes. it's not fake anymore. You don't have to keep pretending. Exactly. It's not a show. It's just now this this is really you, and your sons are looking at it, and your daughters are looking at it, and their whole personalities are being formed by the kind of man that you are. Man, good stuff. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Robert and Jane Alter. They're the authors of the book, Good Husband, Great Marriage, Finding the Good Husband in the Man You Married. And when we come back, we're going to get into some of their content from the book. Uh, They have 50 chapters in the book, folks. And we're, we're not going to hit them all, of course, just probably half of them. No, we're going to get into a few of them and find out what are some of the tricks of the trade to A, be a good husband, be a better husband, um, and and also maybe some of the coaching skills that wives may need to, to coach them along. Interesting stuff, folks. Time to pick up our game and be better husbands. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone are Robert and Jane Alter, the authors of Good Husband, Great Marriage, Finding the Good Husband in the Man You Married. And uh, they're walking us through the lessons that we need as men and as wives um, to make sure we're stepping up in our marriage. And folks, I'm telling you, I can't. it drives me crazy how many times I've had a wife come in and she's done. She's done. She's tried everything she can, and the husband is like, what? It is not this bad. It's not that bad. Folks, the ladies, they're struggling, and they'll struggle faster, and they'll struggle longer, 
if it's not working. So pay attention. And today we are going to learn more from the Alters, um, from some of the chapters in their book. Robert and Jane Alter, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Love, um, love the book. Love the topic. Um, a lot of the, a lot of your simple, the chapters are very simple headings, um, but I think just they're profound, right? Like very first chapter is, "Hey, you're in a relationship." Um, <laughs> I mean, that is like yeah. so, and it's that's like, duh. It's yeah, like duh. duh. You're in a relationship, and like what you just said a moment ago, Matt. I think it's important for the man to believe his wife. Yeah. You know, that I Believe what she's saying. Yeah, believe what she's saying. Um, She keeps saying it over and over and over again. It's not because she's trying to make you bad. It's not Mm -hmm. because she's she's saying you're not a good person. It's because something isn't working. And the sooner you can sort of believe it and just kind of say, okay, let me see what's... What is this about? What what can I do about it? Mm. You know, take that uh, attitude and that approach. Yeah, in fact, use something that might come natural to you, like wanting to fix it, but first find out what it is. Right. You know, we That's always that, we're always yeah, fixing it I mean, instead of. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say we're always fixing it instead of understanding it. And you're saying we should understand it and then believe it. Believe it's coming from a good place. She's not your competitor. Right. Um, and then do what you can. What What were you going to say, Robert? I was going to say that the thing that men need to understand primarily, and I, th- I don't think it's something that is quite obvious, but we don't quite get it, is that if you're married to a woman, you married somebody who thrives on connection. Mm. Her, her very sense of self and her sense of well-being grow out of connection. She's um, biologically and psychologically and emotionally built for connection. So all we men really have to do is learn the various ways of uh, connecting as husbands with our wives, and that's it. That's the game. That's the game, huh? That's that's the game. Just learn how to connect with her. And simple. I, I mean, it yeah. really <laughs> it yeah. is. Except it's so hard, um, yes. isn't it? Because too, it, we think we should be able to connect without adjusting. Right. Right. But right. you've but got to adjust because nothing in us, nothing as men. There's nothing in our training, at least in my training, I grew up in the 1950s and 1960s, there was nothing in my training about connecting with anybody. Right, right. See. And so, so Jane basically had to teach me how to connect with her. Like, don't talk to me in that kind of voice. That doesn't really connect well with me. But if you speak to me in gentle, kind, nice tones, I feel connected with you when you talk to me like that. Mm. And it really seems like... Um the tone, for example, is something is it's so subtle and simple, and like you're saying, it might be something that maybe a female is is more wired to pick up. I mean, I I have a belief that um, like my wife will play with our grandbaby and intuitively sense stuff that I'm not picking up, and right. and can can calm her in ways that. I have yet to be able to master. And I thought it was because she just had magical, mystical powers of femininity. Mm -hmm. But what it might be is she's a connector. Well, actually, she does have magical, Mm -hmm. mystical powers of femininity. And one of those powers is the knowing how to be a connector. Mm -hmm. So as as husbands, if we can stop seeing our wives as um, enemies or she who is trying to nag us to death or control us, but as teachers of connection, then all I have to do basically is learn what she's telling me about connection. Hmm. 
that's it seems fairly um simple yet i mean it, i think it really is if we can just see that she's really coming from a good place uh, jane talk to us about another difference between men and women that i hear all day long and everyone out there in listener land hears is just the differences about um sex and the drive and and what it means to each other. What Talk to us just uh, – deal with the issue that most couples struggle with, male-female desire and, and sex. Yeah, well, I think, I think that it in many ways is what we've been talking about so far. With connection. Is, yeah, that it's a matter of connection. And one of the things that we say in the book is that for women – you know, not always, uh, this is a generality, but it's usually more true for women that it's what's going on all day long, it's what's been going on all week long, it's the way that you've been connecting or not connecting with each other that also fuels desire or the lack of it. And the other thing is that, you know, women and men are different. So I think for some men it's a question of learning what is it that turns my wife on, you know, what gets her to the point where she feels desire if that's not what's coming up first for her, is right. the desire. One of, one of the moves uh, that, that uh, is at the end of every chapter, I give the men something to do that relates to the subject of that chapter. Yeah. And in the chapter called Her Sexuality, uh, here's the move. Uh, Be nice as pie to your wife from now on in your marriage. Sweet as honey, considerate, attentive, supportive kind in the way you talk with her in the way you are with her always show your love and respect for her it's all foreplay man hmm. no that's so cool and that's it's so funny because the guys would be like no that's not it not yeah, even close robert it, but that's yeah, totally yeah. it isn't it yeah yeah the for the foreplay starts monday if you want right. to have wonderful sex on a friday or saturday night with your wife Start the foreplay Monday morning. And love and love and soft. And, and the words you use, are, these are chapters, show gentleness, discipline, uh, just affection, attention, talk. Right. I mean, it's, it is basic, but a really, I think, um, powerful point about it is how much our mood plays into this, right? Our, just our, our – we're irritable. We're ornery. And guys might end up being reactive and escalating the game. What do we do about all the moodiness stuff? Um, the discipline there, as, as a man, is the discipline I practice that I have my moods. I mean, I, I get irritable, I get moody, I get uh, irritated inside. Um, the, the discipline, and, and I think of discipline as a, a part of manliness, actually. Mm-hmm. A, a, man, a true man is a very disciplined man. Um, my discipline with Jane is to, as much as possible, keep my bad mood inside me and not let it out outside me as something that I'm going to make her her moment uncomfortable. Mm. Don't make her so, pay. So if I'm in a bad mood, then the best thing to do with it is go to her and say, hey, honey, I'm in a really bad mood today. I probably won't be able to talk to you for about three hours, but I'll see you at lunch. <laughs> Let's do lunch. <laughs> let me go work it out of my system. That's powerful. I'm hurt you or scare you with my bad mood by uh, uh, talking sharply to you. Uh huh. Um, another issue is power play and kind of this power battle. One of your chapters, chapter forty-one. Who's the boss? What talk to us about what we learned there? Uh, go ahead, Jane. Yeah. Well, I think that um, 
as I was saying earlier, uh, a lot of times men come to a relationship with the idea of that they are the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, you know, of course, that's not going to work at all. Maybe getting rid of the whole idea that there is a boss. You know, nobody is the boss. You know, it's like kids often say when they're little, I'm the boss of myself. You know, be the boss of yourself. Take responsibility for how you are, Mm. how you're being, what you're putting out, not just what you're receiving. And then you can have a relationship that's equal. And I think it's really, really important for women to feel strong in a relationship and to feel respected in a relationship. And that opens them up to wanting to give more to that relationship. Yeah, and what, I, what I tell couples um, is that when you got married, it wasn't just the two of you that got married. There was a third party involved. And the other thing that's getting, that you're marrying is the truth. You're marrying wisdom. You're marrying uh, how, to, how to live life well on this earth. And so that's the boss. So the, the, two, the two of you are in a state of kind of obedience to the truth of how life is supposed to be lived and how marriage is supposed to be. So that, that makes marriage kind of a spiritual thing. Oh, yeah. And, and the neat thing, too, I guess there's a higher order, right? It's, so it's not my way or your way. It's not my interpretation or your interpretation. Sometimes there is some truth at play. Absolutely. There, there is a way, I believe, there is a way to live a life. There is a way for me to treat my wife, and there's a lot of ways that I'm not supposed to treat her. There, there is right and wrong on this earth, and I'm supposed to practice doing it right. Hmm. There That's was a really taught me. There was a, we, we had an interesting um, guest, Lisa Miller, I don't know if you know her, out of Columbia that talked about spirituality and a lot of the latest research on spirituality and parenting, and it seems like spirituality, not necessarily religiosity, not like some, hmm. you know, not some creed belief, but um, it could be a, a belief in the creed as well of, of a religion. But a connection to a higher power is such a healing tool um, in parenting relationships. How, how do you see it playing out in marriage relationships? Well, I think it's just as important in, in a marriage. Um, I think the idea of spirituality that you're referring to, Matt, is the fact that within each one of us, there is that same place of love and wisdom and joy and, you know, um, generosity, all those beautiful virtues. We all have them inside, and that's the place that we're all on this perhaps journey of being on the earth together, learning how to come from that place, as opposed to some of the more wounded places that everyone carries inside of them for whatever happened to them when they were kids or whenever, um, you know, we're all wounded. And so we all come from that wounded place sometimes, Yeah. but we want to be with each other in, in a different place and we can help each other get to that place. That's, and that's a beautiful goal, right? To to help heal whatever we need to heal from our past together and yet re- revere, honor. You, you actually, your one of your final chapters is reverence. Um, yeah, my, my yeah. belief is that um, when, we, when we men finally get to uh, the heart of our hearts, right, right, right down to the bottom of who we really are, and when, when we look at our wives, we, we look at her and we treat her with a kind of reverence. So, um, life, uh, marriage is a is the spiritual 
working out or, or relationship between what I sometimes call the god and the goddess. And mm. the two of us are just trying to uh, live our lives like that. And that's the way I see Jane. I, I do see her as a kind of goddess who, by some great good fortune, walked into my life way, way back and um, in, in many ways saved me. Mm. In many ways saved me. Yeah. No, that's, in fact, the word we, uh, you know, in the Bible, the word help meet. Yes, help meet. Yeah. Means, or it means equal to save. Uh-huh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah, so Adam and Eve were given to each other, and they were equal to save each other, uh, no. which is – isn't that powerful? I, I, so yes. here, And that's really what we do, right? If we, if we do it in reverence, if we do it out of, like you were saying, Jane, our healthiest self versus our, our, you know, our hurt self, mm. we can, we can yes. actually heal, help heal and be there. I mean, and it's, it's never a cakewalk, but it's, it could right. be pretty sweet. It's not a cakewalk, but you're holding hands while, you, while you're walking it. So right. uh, walking is a lot more fun and uh, uh, easier to do. Yeah, no, true. Well, we appreciate you both. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. Good Husband, Great Marriage, Robert Mark Alter, and then uh, Jane Alter contributed as well and uh, helped edit it. We appreciate both of you for your, uh, for your spirit and just for the lessons. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. We appreciate uh, your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you both. Great stuff. Um, folks, it's important. Can't get around it. And if you can bring a little spirit into it, I promise it'll take you to a whole new game. We'll take a break. Come back. Do a little Coach's Corner for you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. What a great uh, interview with uh, Robert and Jane Alter. Marriage is hard, right? And it's, it's even harder just with the typical issues of life. A spouse maybe that is sick, uh, somebody that has lost their job or has mental health issues. There's so many different problems that can come up. Uh, so am I just supposed to stick it out and stay with somebody that doesn't get me? I hear that all the time. And I don't know. But what will you become? And if you do stick it out, and what will you become if you don't? I, I think our assumption is, well, my life would be so much better without it. But many times I think my, my wife's differences, her challenges and her tendencies force me to become a better person. They force me to become the change. And I understand that that doesn't always bring happiness today, but it brings change, growth over time. So maybe – there is a benefit to sticking in it a little longer and there would be even a greater benefit if my partner would get the fact too that they need to change, right? I mean I have clients that have been living in a one-sided marriage for years and their spouse does not seem to get it. They think, ah, oh, she's lucky. I am the greatest man in the world. And so I sit there and I worry – because a guy says, no, seriously, you are so lucky to have me. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, it may not. That was a little video of a marriage fight. Uh, it may not. It, it may not be what you think it is. And you can keep blowing smoke that you're just a saint. But the reality is everyone's got issues. And if, if we can't get real with each other, then we're probably going to have to we're going to become something a lot less than we can become as humans. We're going to fall apart. So there are maybe some ways to motivate your spouse. You don't have to cross the line. You don't have to use ultimatums. Um, you don't have to beat them up if you need to see some change. But one of the things you might want to do is is find a way to feel love for your partner before you bring up an issue. Most of the time i found that when we're bringing up our issues with our spouse, we're not bringing up the issue out of love. And why this is so critical is because if I'm feeling anger, if I'm feeling frustrated, if I feel like you're taking advantage of me, then I will approach the conversation through that paradigm, through that way of thinking. And when I do that, my tone's going to be totally off. If I have compassion for my partner who maybe doesn't know how to communicate very well, and I feel love, and I feel an appreciation for them, if I can feel that when I go into the conversation, it might help me actually position our discussion better versus if I'm going into the discussion out of judgment. So be careful. Watch out for how you approach and the tone you approach with. Also make sure that you find the um, on switch that's inside your partner. We need to get into people deeply first and find out what does motivate them. There are things that motivate your partner, and there are things that motivate your partner to be a better partner to you. You've seen it at times. So go in and actually pay attention to what they are telling you that, that is a driver. Pay attention to when they are happiest and most connected to you, right? It might be when you're sitting on the couch watching a football game, even though you hate football, but you notice they're so much more into you, or they're not into you, but they're at least connected in a way, their way. We got to remember the on switch might be on in, inside our partners. We need to go find it in there. Just a couple of ideas, folks, to help you uh, motivate your partner. Find the good. Let's do it. Let's work better on our marriages, guys. Pick it up. Do your part. Come on. It's all we got. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. More fun next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to the best of The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. What creates higher trust for you and the people around you? Your guide on the side. And a lot of us end up spending our entire life searching for what we expect instead of what has actually been given to us. Dr. Matt Townsend. You know, uh, it's an interesting little, I don't know, contrast for me. As I come back, I, I just spent a week away went to Mexico and uh, visited Cancun and also uh, one of the new wonders of the world, by the way, in, in the new list of seven wonders of the world, Chichen Itza is one of the places that we visited. And it, it just it's so interesting to me. And then I come and I do a show today, this morning, about the political world and all of these decisions that we make. Um, I hear about an old world you know, 600 to 900 A.D. down in Mexico, a Mayan community, um, and and really what how how their community turned and how it changed, and 
Then I come and contrast it to our political world, and I think, first of all, how seriously grateful we all ought to be that we have a democracy where you still have a vote, you still have a say. You may not like what's going on. You may think a lot of it's going to happen with or without you. It still may feel like a coronation for some of these leaders, but there is a big difference between actually just having kings born to kings that then basically run you know, countries or and cultures uh, into extinction, but you still have a say. You still have a lot of blessing and a lot of opportunity here in the United States, and it really, truly, it it was an important, I think, contrast for me to just go learn about these other cultures. I also learned something that even though they may have been so, you know, uh, so basic, so... Um, I don't know, just base type of of living of humans. They still had the exact same needs, the same wants. They still had kids and children. They still had desires. They still wanted the best for their families, for their lives. Folks, this, you got a shot. You got an opportunity as you're here on this great big ball of mud to do something and to be a part of something. And you really got to get intentional about it because in a few hundred years, a few thousand years, you're just an afterthought. Eventually somebody will be, you know, working through your the rubble of your home and, and remember, oh, man, some American must have lived here. It's just crazy how quickly things can change. We were in these incredible ruins, pyramids. We were noticing in a wonderful arena where they would play a game of a sport where the teams would go head-to-head. I was imagining the Super Bowl. But in this Super Bowl game, the loser's captain, whatever team lost, their captain would be killed. So you better win. Can you imagine if in our Super Bowl, the captain of the losing team executed in front of all of the world? Well, that's what was going on back then. And it's interesting because things change, and yet they also can stay very much the same. So please, as we're all sitting here, you know, all of this news is basically setting up our future. It's setting up how we will be seen, what will impact us, what won't. Will you just get into it? Even if you don't want to get into the political side, Start paying attention. Start figuring out what your values are, how you want to be influencing these decisions, these debates. Again, you don't have to get in and fight the good fight, but you should know what's going on. You should know who you're voting for because it is a right that right now at this stage of the world, it's a right that you have the privilege of having. Who knows if it will always stay that way? And I'm not here to scare you, but it will if you make it a point. So get more involved. Get your head wrapped around it because, friends, it's it's not just always guaranteed. It's not a permanent positive guarantee. And eventually, a thousand years from now, two thousand years from now, what will our story be as a country? What will your story be as a person? Will you have connected to your family? Will you have left a legacy for your children, for your grandchildren? It just put in the front of my mind the need to live. And to live a good life, a life that could be handed down, a life that you're proud of, a life that you want other people to know about. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. We thought that we would have, you know, a lot of time to focus. With all this technology, it would buy us more time, right? 
more time to be with the people we love, more time to be attentive and in tune. And in reality, what ends up happening is not even close. We still don't have time. And so, and what I'm talking about is a simple idea of being in love, right? So when somebody thinks about being in love, they always think of the love part. Like the, the love is the, is the important part. You gotta, as long as you have the love part, life is gonna be great. But what I'm gonna be focusing on is not the love part, but the in part. You know, the in, you gotta be in love. It's kind of like being in debt. It's not the debt, it's being in the debt that's the problem. When you're inundated in the debt, ugh, it's the problem. But if we could be inundated in the love, then life would be great. We're just overwhelmed and so full of love for each other. So when we talk about it, I'm going to get into four different things to make sure that we get in. And our nature, really, uh, we've been told, is a great way to get in. And part of that is because it just automatically probably takes you to a whole different level of in vibration of life, I guess, because normally we're just kind of vibrating off of our screens and we're just feeling all of this intensity. In our marriages, in our relationships, four keys to get in the relationship. Number one, you got to tune into your partner. I've been married 25 years in a couple of days. And um, here's the deal. If I don't listen to my partner, if I don't pay attention to my partner, then I do not have a clue what her needs are, her wants are. You have got to learn, all of us have got to learn to tune in to what's really going on with our spouse. What are they really thinking? By the way, like you remember the old radio tuner where you had to tune in and dial in the radio? You might have to adjust it depending on where you were. But the minute you tuned in, it would eliminate a lot of the static. It would get rid of some of the interference. We've got to figure out and be present enough with our spouses to be able to tune into what they're really trying to say. And after 25 years, we should be really good at it, right? Well, only if you've been in. If you haven't been in, then you're not going to be great at being able to dial into what your partner's saying. Some solutions for that are very simply find ways to clarify what your partner is saying. Don't assume you know what they mean because they're saying certain words. Ask them, what do you mean by that? When you say that, I don't know, I'm worried about today. It's not going to go so well. Don't assume you know exactly what that means and don't just like answer it for them. What do you mean? What are you worried about? And let them explain more. Spend more time actually looking at your partner. You know, it's easier to tune into something that you're looking at, right? It might be easier to tune into somebody that you're listening to. So we can tune in with our eyes. We can tune in with our ears. We can tune in with our whole heart. We got to tune into our partner. Another rule, allow your partner in. One of the biggest complaints I hear from uh, in marriage uh, coaching and relationship coaching is, I don't even feel like I know my husband. He doesn't even let me into his world. She asks you how your day is. You're like, fine, my day's fine. No more need to discuss it. Do you let your spouse in? Do they share what's really in their heart and in their mind? Do they feel safe enough to share it? Because if they don't feel safe enough to share it, they're not going to share it. Are you a, a safe spouse or will you know you get laughed at? We've got to allow our partners into our fears, our beliefs, our concerns, and that means you've got to be able to hear it. Uh, there was some interesting research done of women that say they want to hear what's going on in their husband's heart, what they're thinking in their mind. And as soon as the husband shares it, almost inevitably, the wife's like, oh, I can't believe you're thinking that. You always think that. I know. My bad. 
if you want to, your partner to share more, you've got to be able to handle what they bring, and you've also got to be able to make it safe. Another rule is stay more involved in each other's lives. A complaint I hear all of the time is it doesn't seem like my partner's even into the family. They're not even paying attention. They're never involved, which means, Dad, you need to help more. Be there for homework. Help your kids do their assignments. Run the carpools more. Pick up the team. Drive the team. Be involved. Also, can I just suggest watch out for how we do our distribution of chores and of um, division of labor. You will make these divisions when you're young, maybe naive. The wife does everything on the inside of the house. The husband does everything on the outside of the house. Be careful, ladies, because there's because we have lighting and technology inside the house. You can end up working all night till midnight, but we can only mow the lawn until it's dusk. If you want a fair and equal division of labor, we're going to have to learn to talk about it. And then last but not least, you got to touch. you got to be in touch with each other. If you remember, that's where a lot of the chemicals started in the first place. So make sure you're touching. Uh, and you can touch you know, in non-sexual ways. You can hold hands. You can hug. You can kiss in front of the kids and drive them crazy. That's the reason we're in love, right? Keep in touch. That's one of the goals. Stay involved. Allow your partner in and tune in to your partner. That's the way you stay in love. Interesting stuff, folks. Hoping to help you see the good in the world. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. 50% of teens... And 20% of parents feel that they are addicted to their mobile devices, according to a poll um, that was reported in CNN.com. Nearly 80% of teens check their phones hourly. 72% feel they need to respond immediately. So technology is creating some serious problems uh, for us here in the world. And according to our guest, technological addiction can happen to anyone Uh, said the digital detox expert Holland Haas, who describes technology as the new 21st century addiction in her book, Consciously Connecting, a simple process to reconnect in a disconnected world. Uh, Holland Haas, we're honored to have you. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. I've been looking forward to this. This is a, it's such a necessary topic. We are addicted and our kids are even apparently Either they're either more honest or more addicted than we are um, to our technology. I guess we've sensed that, right? We, we've sensed it's taking over our world. But you you make a big point that it's actually it's disconnecting us. It's disconnecting us from life. It is disconnecting us from life. And what research has shown us over and over again is that we begin to feel better after we've seen people in the flesh, face-to-face. Research also shows us that we feel better after we connect in this way, you know, live, or either through a phone call. So what we are taking away, what we are not giving ourselves um, in the way of a, a gift, so to speak, is we're doing everything through text and we're doing these emails. And as we know, we can read a lot into that that really isn't there. An emoji does not substitute for for a real connection and, and laughing together and hearing a smile in someone's voice and being able to comfort them when they're, when they're sad or depressed or crying. And this is the piece that we're moving further and further away from. Oh, and, and I mean, I just imagine... 
20 years from now, 30 years from now, how much just basic knowledge and and skill sets, how many how many of the tools of life we may have lost or a generation we may have lost simply because we didn't pay more attention to to creating a, you know a conscious connection. Yes, which is why it becomes so imperative for people to to wake up, consciously connect to where they feel, where they see a disconnect, not only in themselves, but in their families. Yeah. And it's, it's very present, uh, you know, so, so let's look a little bit at, at addiction and, and what it is that we're looking for. So first of all, when you can't do without your phone, and I mean, I have literally seen children and teenagers having temper tantrums out in, you know, Barnes and Noble or on the streets or because their phones have gone out or they can't, they can't pick up Wi-Fi. And they are literally, you're watching a meltdown hmm. in front of you. So that becomes a really big signal to, to parents, to teachers, to friends, to family. Um, when you can't get off the Internet, when you can't stop texting for a meal, or a bathroom break. And, and I have to say, I don't want to uh, sit here sounding as though I'm on the throne in judgment because I have literally, there were a few <laughs> years back, that I had to look at my own behavior because yeah. it is so easy. It is such a slippery slope where I would work for six hours straight and I wouldn't get up for a glass of water. I wouldn't get up to go to the bathroom. I wouldn't get up to eat. You know, my husband would walk in the room and he's like, you haven't, you haven't left your desk. Like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, oh, right. Oh, that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. It, and it, it, so it does. It happens to everybody, right? Yes. Yes. So we, we want to take a look at what can we do? What can be tangible? How can we help ourselves so that we can uh, help others as well? So first thing. Let's start setting some parameters. So I know that for myself personally, when I have days that I work at home as opposed to being out with clients, I've got to set a timer for 60 minutes. And every 60 minutes then, that is my wake-up call that I've got to get up, I've got to do a few stretches, I have to take the bathroom break. I need to go refresh my water. I need to maybe make a personal phone call, maybe reach out, check in with my mom for the day, reach out, check in with a friend. Do something to kind of shake it up because we know that when we get up to do this, think of back in the day when our parents, you know, when they're, when everything was brick and mortar, right? right? Everyone physically went to a job site each day. What happened? You got up, you went to the water cooler, you went to the bathroom. Some people go out, they had those cigarette breaks. And what happened was there is the disconnect from consistently working and maybe that problem that you're trying to flesh out, yeah. that you're getting, you know, you're not, you're not getting any, anywhere with that. You meet someone, you start having a conversation, and the next thing you know, something, the light bulb goes off and you're like, oh my gosh, the, the answer was there all the time. And you run back to your desk and what happens? You're re-energized, you're yeah. revitalized, you're excited and you're able to continue with your work, which means your pro productivity increases because you're in that sweet spot and you're excited 
and we don't give ourselves time to get to that sweet spot. It's almost like you need you need the interruptions occasionally uh, throughout the day to to bring you back into consciousness almost. Yes, you are exactly right. And, and then that you're saying spurs, and I know the research has said that too, the spurs your ability to, to actually make different connections in your brain, right? That's absolutely correct. I mean, because yes. it could be the dumbest thing that somebody said about a basketball game at the water cooler, but it may also be a perfect analogy or it may take your mind somewhere else that will create answers in other parts of your life. You've got to mix yes. it up. But don't people yes. think they're doing that by just sitting on their phone? They th- don't they think – I mean, it's almost like this visual that we're moving to another – I'm going to another world. Now I'm – I just told a story about a bird that landed in – chicken marsala and it's orange now so now see now i'm in the bird orange world but there's something different about getting up moving your body and experiencing people and different ideas yes and and unfortunately what we're not connecting if you will and there's a a huge disconnect is we've got access to what we quote believe is everything 24 7 right in front of us You see, I don't need to pick up the phone, or I don't need to go and see Matt. I don't need that because I have everything right here in front of me, and I can just send a quick text or send an email. I I don't need to, you know, nothing closes down. And that's part of the problem is that the Internet doesn't close down. The email box never closes. It's not like the mailman that came once a day. And that was it. And, it, and you, you may be disappointed that you didn't get that letter you were waiting for or you didn't get that check. But within 10 to 15 to 30 minutes, you'd let that go and you'd carried on with your day. Right. You see, now the mailman comes every second of every day. And so if we don't get what we want, we keep going to the mailbox, going to the mailbox, <laughs> going to the mailbox. And we're on this crazy merry-go-round where we're not consciously connecting and saying, okay, wait a second. I'm going to go to the mailbox three times a day. I'm going to look specifically for these five emails, if you will, because Mm -hmm. this is priority. How often, and and I ask all your listeners as well as you, Matt, how often have you gone to the email, right, and you've gone to the inbox, and you know specifically, I'm looking for something from Matt. And then you open it up, and you're like, oh, my God. Oh, there's something else. Yeah. A sale. Oh. And then you click on that. And suddenly, 30 minutes later, you've gone through everything except looking for Matt. And you're in there. Yeah. And you're there. And then you stop and go, okay, wait a second. What? Wait, what was I looking for? <laughs> It's true. It happens, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're watching a YouTube video of a... Slytherin snake or something right. stupid. <laughs> and you're like, this has nothing to do with my day. <laughs> That's right. How did I get here? Uh, right. This is so true, Holland. Let, let's take a break. I come back. I want to come back and have you just keep teaching us what else we can do to to consciously get in um, into our lives. Really take it back, folks. The name of the book is Consciously Connecting: A Simple Process to Reconnect in a Disconnected World, and it's written by uh, Holland Haas. And you can go to Holland Haas. Uh, Holland Haas. Haas spelled H-A-I-I-S, hollandhaas.com for more information on that. We'll take a break, come back, more on how to consciously connect.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's it's an addiction, and the numbers are are staggering. Eighty um, percent of teens check their phones hourly. Seventy two percent feel the need to respond immediately. There's this constant pressure that's uh, that exists now. And our guest, Holland Haas, who is the author of the book Consciously Connecting, A Simple Process to Reconnect in a Disconnected World. She's joining us. You can find her website, Holland Haas, H-A-I-S-S dot com, hollandhaas.com, to find out more about uh, what she's teaching us. Holland, teach us some more. What, I mean, how do we handle this world where we're so prone to disconnect? How do we actually focus in and stay present? Okay, so if I may share a little bit about the dopamine and, and our brain. You bet. And, and again, a little greater understanding, and then we can connect the dots a, a little bit better. So the dopamine is stimulated by unpredictability, all right? So when you think about, we never know what we're going to get on social media. It's why we keep coming back for more. Huh. It's the same with our inboxes. And this is stimulating us, and it's, it's speeding up our brains, and it's getting us excited. So think about it in this way. If you had Christmas every single day of the year, and every morning that you woke up, there were presents under the tree that you could run and open, what would that do for you? <laughs> I'd be neurotic. Right? We yeah. all would be neurotic. And then, once the gifts were open, magically, you'd leave the room, you would go and shower, and you'd come back, and there would be more. Yeah. And then you'd go outside maybe for a run or go to the gym, and you'd come back and there were more. Well, this is what is happening moment after moment after moment. So, so once we understand that it's all this unpredictable, unpredictability, which, by the way, is similar to slot machines. Slot machines, it, it offers us the same. You see, we get enough of a reward that we continue to go back and repeat the action over and over, which is why that becomes so addictive as well. It's that unpredictability. So we, the dopamine in our brain, we, we know we need that. Okay, the unpredictability, that's, that's where we're getting the rush hmm. of excitement. So how do we say, all right, if I'm sitting down and I realize, wow, I've just been surfing through the Internet and, and emails and clicking on the YouTube snake stuff, for the last three hours, yeah. this is a problem. I remember on, on Matt's show, okay, get up, go outside, go take a walk, go get in the car and take a drive, go and exercise, because also that is giving your brain the same unpredictability. You don't know if you get in the car and say, okay, I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to take that drive I've always wanted to take, or I'm going to get off on that subway stop that I never get off on because I don't know Brooklyn or lower downtown, and I get turned around on those streets. Get off. That's what you want to do. You want to feed your brain in the same way with unpredictability, excitement that you're doing by staying connected to these devices, all right? So, so that's a way that you can work to start breaking it up and substituting something else. Yeah, okay? and, and it, it really, I guess you're saying it doesn't matter what it is, just if it's unpredictable. Exactly. And exactly. that's interesting. Is, is that why, um, I mean, people can just watch TV. I guess TV could become addictive. The addictive agent is dopamine, really, and it's just feeding 
But if you're watching a show that you're binging on and you just keep watching it and watching it, it's because it's so unpredictable of what will be next. Once the show gets predictable, you probably aren't getting fed anymore. You're no longer – the dopamine is stimulated by unpredictability. Mm. So if it becomes predictable, the stimulation isn't there, which is why there's been – and this is such a great point that you've brought up, Matt – television has changed and a lot of people have said to me why is reality television like why do so many people like it and i say it's the unpredictability and it's the pace also you see what we've also done to our brains because we are you, you know some of us have two and three monitors on a desk and we've got four and five windows open and then we've got ipads and phones and you, you know we, uh-huh. we literally look like we're about ready to blast off to space at any moment with with everything going on and you stop and you think about where television has been and where it's needed to go, and why are certain shows successful? Well, you know, when you've got table flipping and fights and hair pulling and you know, all this, what was once considered behavior that, that, you know, none of us would have partaken in, and I hope a lot of us still feel the same way, but it is. It's like watching a train wreck. You cannot pull yourself no, you away you got to look. And, yeah. and that's, I mean, that's why every time you get an email, you got to check. I mean, this could be seriously unpredictable. Yes. <laughs> so our mind's like, yeah, feed the monster, feed the monster. Feed the monster, and it's like, it's like the slot machine. Oh, I'm disappointed, but let me pull, pull that handle one more time because <laughs> I think the next email I open is going to be the jackpot. <laughs> jackpot. Talk to me about what we do. How do we detoxify this? How do we maybe get uh, less into needing the dopamine fix um, and maybe just creating – or, or getting the fix other than, you know, going on walks, exercising. I've heard people talk about a fast, you know, like stop using technology so much every day or so much a week. Does that work? It it definitely helps a lot. Yes. It, now, now, look, we're, we're people who are really, really addicted. I mean, who have a real addiction, as in like an alcoholic or a drug addict, right? And again, Substance addiction and behavioral addiction are are different. Um, However, if you truly, truly are addicted, I had a mother reach out to me not too long ago where a child of hers is taking a second leave uh, from college due to addiction. Mm. So so that's that's very, very different than, than those of us that have these patterns that we can move forward to consciously work on on breaking. So one of them is let's start substituting. Let's get outside. Let's take that walk. Let's take that run. Let's drive in the car. Let's mix it up. Let's get off on those those subway stops that are a little different. Let's take different routes to work, okay? Because that's that's going to feed some of that a little bit. And again, it's going to take away some of the anxiety. Let's look at setting parameters. I'm really big on setting parameters, knowing your why. And what I mean by that is when you're going on to social media, know your why. Why are you going there, Matt? Are yeah, you what's your goal? There? What's your purpose? Exactly. That's cool. I mean, that's, I mean, just because that right there, I can already see you're putting it in your frontal lobe of your brain. You're, you're, you're making it an intentional prefrontal cortex choice. Yes. Thought. Yes. And very often, once I, I share that in my digital detox programs with families, the minute I say that, it's amazing how many parents go, oh, 
I don't even care anymore. You're right. I was looking at this one's this and that one's that. I mean, and that's the slippery slope is that we can go on. And again, I've done this as well. You go on to, to Facebook and I look at what Matt's doing and right. then Matt has a friend, Joe, and I'm like, I, I don't know why I feel the need to look at Joe's pictures that he's in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> and then I click on Joe, and then Joe has an interesting friend that's in Australia. And suddenly I'm, I'm like, who are these people, that's and why right. am I looking at them, right? I don't even know them. It's, and suddenly, how much time did that take, Matt? Oh, a day. Thank you. Now you've lost a day, a day yeah, of your life. Day. <laughs> and then what happens is you start to feel bad, you feel shame, you feel bad that how come I don't have a life like that? Mm-hmm. How come? How come I don't get as many likes as, you know, Susan in Australia? I don't even know Susan, but Susan got a lot of likes, and I now feel badly because I don't get that many likes. She, I noticed she had a lot of shares, and it's like, so this is what happens. Yeah, then so you need again, more fix, right? Then you need yeah. more dopamine. So it's, we're on that roller coaster mm. up and down. So once again, let's set our parameters. Let's know our whys. Have a goal. Have a purpose, and set a timer. So if I'm looking for my college friend and I say, this is what I am, this is my why, this is my purpose, all right, I'm going to spend, I think, 20 minutes is, is what works in my schedule. I'm going to spend 20 minutes. I'm going to set the timer. In those 20 minutes, if I did not find that college person, then, then maybe tomorrow or two days from now, and, and I'm going to decide, hey, I'm only going to engage with social media four times a week. So now, two days from now, I'll take that 20 minutes again, and I will bucket it toward looking for this person until I eventually say, you know what, it's not meant for me to find this person right now. I'm going to stop that, and I'm going to do something else with my social media time. Or I may start to look at it and say, oh, I just don't care, and I don't need to go on, and I'm going to use it to do something else. And if you actually set a goal and a parameter and the timer and you keep that goal, then your character grows. Then you you feel a greater sense of integrity with yourself. You feel that you're in control Mm. because you're connected. And that's the whole purpose of consciously connecting is finding the thread to your own power and really understanding where you've experienced disconnect in your lives because we all go through times that we we have a disconnect in some area whether it's goals our boundaries our playtime our family our relationships we all feel that we're off the rails at at some point in time and the idea is that you can go to that power place and realize how do i start working to to get to get back on track. And by doing it in this way, setting these parameters for social media, you start to realize, is social media, is is it valid for your life? Is it something you like? Are you just doing it because of everybody else? And I've had many, many clients that have turned around and said, I just don't even care about it. No, right. I'm done. And they've been, they've shut down. That's so awesome. Holland Haas, great insight. Uh, Appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here and teaching us this. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Matt. You bet. Everybody go to the website, hollandhaas.com. Holland Haas, Haas is spelled H-A-I-I-S. Go look for her book, Consciously Connecting, a simple process to reconnect in a disconnected world. We're going to take a break, folks, but we will reconnect in just a few minutes and continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, all this technology, it seems like it should be helping us a lot more than it really does. Sometimes it just distracts us. There's a story about a woman who was following her GPS, drives her car right into Canada's Georgian Bay. Huh. Following directions from her car's GPS, a 23-year-old Canadian woman drove straight into a frigid Ontario Bay earlier this week. The woman, who was not familiar with the area, was driving when she missed a right turn and drove straight into a boat launch leading into Georgian Bay. Oh, this is sad. They're scary. Thursday, it was dark, stormy, visibility was low, and the car's momentum carried it out past the shore and the red Toyota Yaris Yaris sunk below the surface. Luckily, the fast-thinking woman was able to roll down her window before the car's power cut out and she would swim to shore. Police said the temperature of the water was 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And the woman had to swim almost 100 feet to shore. I mean, what do you do? You trust GPS. And the next thing you know, you're swimming to shore. Well, the voice is so calming. Yeah. Turn left at the next light. (laughs) There isn't a light. You ever had that moment? There's no light. There's There's nowhere to turn. I guess I go into this. I guess I just drive up onto this lawn. Um, Well, we happen to have video of the whole thing. And as we like to do, we're showing you. Recalculating. Recalculating. It'd be better if there was like a blub, blub, blub. What do you mean better? Like like if the voice somehow sounded as if they were underwater talking to you. Yeah. I think it was a waterproof model. Ooh, okay. Yeah, that's the waterproof GPS model. Uh, they had a lot of accidents. But, you know, the thing was smart enough to recalculate. That's – you got to give it credit for that. That's interesting video, man. She was speeding, though. She was hauling. Yeah. How No wonder. How she, did we get that video? We were just showing a lot of video on the show. We are pound per pound more video on this radio show than any other radio show. So is it like one of those black boxes in the car? Because it followed the car. No. This was just some guy getting the sunset. Oh, so did he dive in the lake? Yeah, with her. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's the dedication? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, it's a news, you know, the the news people, they're after it. They're after it. You know, what do you say? Uh, I think that's happened to everyone where all of a sudden you end up in some field and you're thinking, this isn't working. My GPS seems a little bit off. I once was told I had, I was going to do a speech and I thought it was just in my neighborhood. But guess what? It wasn't. It was about 4,500 miles away. Hmm. By car. How long did it take you to figure out you? I only went about a thousand miles. And then I'm like, this is not worth it. They're not even paying me for this speech. So I had to come back 2,000 miles later. (sighs) Technology. What do you do? What are you supposed to do? Um, We got a lot to talk about. And we, we have only one more hour before... It's the weekend, right? I mean, right when the show's over, we're done. We, uh, every day, show's over, we're done. Today. Today's Friday. We're done for the week. And we're done. But we're done really every day about the end of the show. We aren't. What do you mean? 
I still have to take a nap, okay. a walk, waxing. It's not really work-related. Did you buy one of those desks that turn into a bed? No, because that looked ridiculous. I did. I bought a body pillow because those got really popular. Liana was talking about it earlier. I, and I saw a love sack in your I got a love office. sack. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I also bought a fridge and a mannequin. To sit in my seat. Well, at so. least you're committed to the uh, to the process of taking a nap in your office. It can be difficult. It's hard to set that stuff up, though. Mm. I just need him to let me cover my glass in my office. That would that. that would be easier. It seems like I'm going to just start putting pictures up there. Have so many pictures. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we have got. A ton of news to do with you. We're going to do what we call the news flush. Get rid of all the stories that we don't, you know, that nobody really needs to hear. And yet we got to get rid of them because we're going to have a whole new batch of them next week when they bring the batch in from Costco. And also um, just a little meet the producer segment. Tons of stuff, folks, to help launch your weekend. Stick with us, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show.